Hey everybody, what's up? It's Chase. Welcome to an episode of the Chase Jarvis Live Show here on Creative Live. This is the show where I sit down with amazing humans and unpack their brains to help you live your dreams. Today's amazing human is Jason Wilson. Now, Jason is an expert in emotional stability training. He's written numerous books on the topic. He originally, back in 2003, is the founder of Union. That's Y-U-N-I-O-N was a nonprofit organization in Detroit, Michigan that was focused on prevention, programming, and trauma-informed care, originally for fatherless and misguided black boys was his terminology. He's won numerous awards for his work, and he's the author of two exceptional books, one called Cry Like a Man and his new book, Battle Cry, as a highly recommended must-read on my list. Uh, in this episode, we talk about tools to remain balanced in stressful, difficult, or emotional situations. I know everyone could use some of that. We talk about the four R's, reflecting, releasing, resetting, and resting, what to do as you process trauma. We talked about the benefits of vulnerability and authenticity, and also in a world that's historically been so male-dominant, where we're now seeing a rise in feminine energy in the long overdue advancement of women in culture, why his book about male vulnerability is actually exceptionally well-timed. I can't wait for you to enjoy this episode with yours truly and Mr. Jason Wilson. One of the most powerful messages that you can hear are the three words, it is possible. Whatever your thing is, whether it's, it's music, fine art, filmmaking, building a business, nonprofit work, you can build a living and more importantly, a life around that thing. Now, one of the most often overlooked aspects of success here, not to mention a well-lived life, is acquiring those skills. That's why more than 10 years ago, I founded creativelive.com. This is the world's largest and best platform for creative and entrepreneurial education, bar none. That's the reason that I'm you know, on my soapbox right now is because I believe so deeply in it. This is where, again, tens of millions of people have already learned how to take action and affect their life for the better. Again, to pursue their passions, to create a living and a life in an area that they would love to spend their time. In addition to classes around photography, video, art, design, music, audio, there's also things like health and wellness, mindfulness, meditation, if you've been listening to the show for a while, you're aware that I used to encourage you to buy a class to try and transform one aspect of your life. And that was like 99 or 149 bucks, say. Now we've moved Creative Live to subscription first. So you can get access to more than 2,000 classes for roughly the same price of a single class just a year or two ago. An annual subscription is now just $149. That's right, that's a whole year. What is that, like 13 bucks for access to thousands of hours of super high-end learning content, all for one simple price. You can play annually or you can pay monthly, whatever works for you. Where do you do that? Go to creativelive.com slash creator pass. All right, that about wraps it up. Now let's get back to the show. All right, everyone. Today we have with us an incredibly inspiring human. It makes me very happy, and it's a great honor to welcome Jason Wilson to the show. Jason, thank you so much for being here. Thanks, Chase, for having me, man. I'm honored to be here. Um, I I would love to walk down memory lane for me personally, just a couple years when I feel like many people, uh, but I can only speak for myself, became acquainted with your work when uh a viral video hit the web of you coaching a very young man, a boy, I will say, through um, a, a difficult time as a martial arts instructor. And it seemed like at that moment you laid down not just how to overcome that moment, but uh, there was a path uh, that you, us viewers could see that you were laying a foundation for this young boy to become a man in a modern era. And I'm wondering, for the few handful of people who didn't see that thing, because it has tens of millions of views. Um, can you walk us through that moment and, uh, and, and help get people acquainted with your work and, and then up to speed on, on a little bit about who, who you are? Yeah, that video um, actually, I believe was 2016 when it happened. And, and I mean, honestly, at that time, Chase, I had stopped recording the initiation test 
And so it was my friend's son, Bruce. I believe he was eight years old at the time. And I said, you know what? I'm going to record it so you will have it just for your memories. And I just rushed and set the camera up. If I would have known it would have went viral, I think it's like over 100 million <laughs> views worldwide now. I would have focused the camera and everything, the proper lighting. But um, Bruce, what was interesting, many people don't know that the board that he struggled to break, he actually broke it very easy uh, a day before. And then last week, it was no problem, both hands. But what Bruce was really dealing with was a fear of failure. And he had asked his father several times, you know, could he get out of the cave? which is the, the Transformational Training Academy, the Cave of Adelum. We just call it the cave. And his father wouldn't let him quit. And so when he his, the test came up and it was, that board got in front of him, he easily broke through it with his right hand. But when the mind and fear and everything else starts clicking in, his non-dominant hand, he just couldn't break through. And he had just started crying. And in the cave, we allow boys and even young men to have a safe space where they can be human. Um, because as you know, we, we're told as men, don't cry, no pain, no gain. And you know what doesn't kill you will make you stronger. Uh, these misleading mantras have led many men to early graves and unfulfilled lives. And so instead of condemning him like the traditional, well, the coaches I've had, you know, cursed, I would get cursed at at 10 years old, oh. man, you know. Uh, oh, get yeah. you know, get up. You know, you're stronger than this. Do this and do that. Um, I said, "What's wrong?" And I got dropped to one knee, and he he started crying. I dropped to one knee. I said, "It's okay." You know, men, we cry too. I think I said something like that, and I just started pouring into him and letting him know it was okay to express what he was feeling, but he couldn't allow that emotion to master him in that moment because he still had to break that barrier or that board. And so we use board breaking only, not for really striking power, but to teach our boys um, that they have a basic understanding of how to overcome emotional barriers in their lives or obstacles. And so, again, Bruce's was a fear of failure. And uh, once he got gained understanding of what it was and then felt comfortable in who he was, you can see it from the video. He was able to break through it. And the rest is history. He's doing really well now. And um that's really was a very powerful moment, Chase, you know. Yeah. As you said, been viewed hundreds of millions hundreds of millions of times. And it's obviously not because of the ability to break a board, but what it signals culturally, mm. um, you know, under uh, the humanity that underpins uh, I will say us all, you know, your your work is designed primarily for boys and men, but I'll share that that I have spoken at length with my wife, Kate, about this video, about how men are perceived in culture, uh, about your work. And, you know, for anyone who's listening to this or watching this right now, of course, again, the work is is oriented toward men, but I'm just sharing my personal experience of having spoken with this uh, with my wife and it she indicated it was sort of illuminating and, and helpful for her to process, mm. you know, the role that some men have in culture. And that makes me want to um, just put one thing on the table and get your response to it. And that is, you know, in a world where our cultural tension has been focused on men for millennia um, and where just in recently we can feel momentum rightly shifting towards um, giving women um, the opportunity to be seen and show up in a, in a world that has been denied to them for so long, for centuries. Um, can you describe how your work coexists with all of the necessary attention that is required to put on, um, on women, though yours is, uh, is aiming to help boys and men? Are you asked, Chase, are you asking me, you know, how is my, how will my work or how does it Help. How, how, yeah, how, yeah, yeah. I would say, how does it? Yeah. You know, it's got a place to coexist with the work that needs to. We need to culturally um, elevate women and pay the attention that has been long overdue for millennia, mm -hmm. and we're in a moment right now, rightly, uh, I believe. And what I've just seen is your work coexists so beautifully, and I'm wondering if that is is. Are you, are you mindful of that and, and or just how would you how would you comment on it because it seems to coexist so beautifully uh for me 
When you, I mean, that's a good question. It, it's, it's not intentional. I just believe when you allow a man to become whole or comprehensive, instead of just living life as a masculine male, he becomes more aware of the wrongs and the rights that you know he afflict on the women in his life. And so for me, I wasn't always the man I was. I was a hyper-masculine male, and I would yell a lot in my home. If I would get in an argument with my wife, I would hit tables. I was uh, misogynistic. You know, I could go on and on. But until I became what I call a comprehensive man who was basically courageous, but also compassionate, strong, but sensitive, a man who freely lives from the good in his heart instead of his fears, I began to look at women completely different instead of objects, which, again, we objectify women when we, you know, I searched it through masturbation and becoming a lothario, just seducing women for personal gain. But really what I was looking for, Chase, was real affirmation and love from one woman, which is my wife now. But I chose the path that many men take because we feel that this is some type of validation of manhood to have many women, to mistreat women. But when you allow a man to be emotional, when you stop seeing what's feminine emotions and what's masculine, when you understand that there are emotions and that you are a male and she is a female, you stop classifying and mistreating people and looking at people like objects. And I've seen it done with men as well. And so with our boys and even the young men who are in our academy, we we make sure that they respect the women, you know, treat them the way that they would desire. We have several uh, classes where we talk about how what I admire about our sisters is that unlike us, we've allowed one adjective to define us, masculinity, okay, which is attributes traditionally ascribed to men, strength, boldness, aggression, a provider, protector, whatever. But women, you would never hear a woman say, uh, will be confined by femininity. Okay, so when we go way back in time, they would say a woman's place is in the kitchen. Okay, they never allowed that narrative to be painted to them. They fought that. And as men, when we, we should start doing the same because we only allow ourselves to love in masculine ways. So how is it that we can give or treat our women in the way that they deserve when we're only used to being bold, protectors, and aggressors? We can't even connect that way. And me being a spiritual man, um, I, the Bible is interesting. When God created Adam, he gave Adam a responsibility, which was the garden. And when he created Eve, he gave Eve a relationship, which was Adam. So here it is a man in which we're guilty of, Chase, we typically only uh, define ourselves with what we do. And here it is Eve wanting a connection, and we can't even go there. And that's why so many of us, we get upset, and we don't have the patience when we get home to even just listen to our wives if she's stressed out. And so I'm hoping eventually, you know, like you said, you know, it seemed like the world was centered around men. And I'm hoping one day that we truly can get healed where women can have their space because women are hurting. You know, there's so many programs to help boys and men. In contrast, I don't see a lot available for our women and our young girls. So I'm hoping that when men become mentally healthy and emotionally stable, we'll be able to be there for our women like they've been there for us. Incredible. Thank you for articulating that. Uh, I think a, a, a natural extension of that history is, you know, even I'll just say the near history and present in a world um, where we see these common patterns of male masculinity, of uh, the ma male uh, emotional upbringing as all of the adjectives that you mentioned and more. Can you help articulate more deeply how the work that you do in a way runs counter to this and creates a, a new vision. You, you touched on it, you know, as far as we've, we've come in just a few minutes of this conversation so far, but I wanted to invite you to go a little bit deeper on um, your work specifically focusing on uh, emotional availability, connection, an inward journey towards uh, emotions that are typically culturally uh, men ignore. Mm. Yes, that's a very good question, Chase. Um, I use myself for an ex example. Um, you know, the hardest battle for all of us as men, like 
I, I'm, I know some very strong men, some warriors. The hardest fight for us all is to deal with ourselves. We'll run from it because it draws upon, it makes us feel non-masculine emotions like sadness, fear, insecurity, whatever it may be. And so we run from uh, the war that we really need to wage instead of the one that's outside of us. Chase, I didn't um, become even the cave of a dullum. It didn't become what it was today until I allowed myself to be broken. My mother, when she developed dementia, you know, here it is. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a masculine male. I can provide. I can protect. I can make sure she has a housing. But at one point in her life, when it started to accelerate, I had to become a nurturer. I had to become more compassionate. I had to become long-suffering. I had to learn how to do her nails, comb her hair, massage her head, massage her feet. Those things were a great challenge for me. But until I was able to really understand that we were more than masculine as men, I couldn't take care of her. But when I did, I have no regrets because I left it all on the floor. And so in the cave of Adullam, what we do, we allow boys, of course, you know, masculinity in and of itself is not toxic. You know, a man becomes toxic when we allow our lives to only be lived under masculine attributes. And so the toxic thoughts and the negative emotions, we continue to suppress. Why? Because we tell each other what? If we're hurting, we say, stay strong, bro. Okay, no one can stay strong. Okay, I, I, I used to be real strong in the gym. I trained in martial arts. You can take the 140, 135 on the bench press and just lock it out. I say, I come back tomorrow. Let me see if you're holding it. And I guarantee you, the person will have to put rack the weight. And so, as men, we have a concept about always having a spotter. But again, when we're only uh, conditioned to be this superhero, this always strong man, we won't call for a spot, even though that bench, the bar is on our neck strangling us. We keep throwing on the Superman cape, even though that S stands for strangling. We can't live up to this world's expectations. And so we use statistics as well to prove that, wait a minute, we're living unhealthy. Uh, three Men die by suicide three to four times likely as women. And this is another stat that blew my mind, that nine out of 10 people who live to be over 100 are women. And I started at that moment, I started taking pictures, Chase, of elderly couples when they were out. You would see the wife, Peppy, moving around, you know, with the running shoes on or whatever. And the man is on a walker. I mean, literally, he's yeah. using a walker to get around. And they're the same age because that man has identified himself with what he does instead of who he is. When you allow men to be... We, we learn how to really see and then live boldly from who we really are, the good of who we really are. And that's when we we can truly transform into comprehensive men. And um, I've, I've seen it change boys and even grown men, fathers who are watching, who work 17-hour days, you know, literally lawyers and doctors, and then wonder why the relationships aren't there the way they desire for their families. And then when I talk to these men and give them a safe space, they break down crying because they're so tired of not being able to say they're tired. Every man I talk to, I don't care what ethnicity, we all agree that something is wrong with the way we've been conditioned to uh, live as men. And they're just tired of it now. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think you're, what you share matches my observations and my you know, behind closed doors conversations with so many men in my life, those senior to me, those that I mentor. Um, and I, I, that's one of the reasons I was attracted to your work because it was different. It was different than what the common, um, you know, stereotypical talk track is. Uh, I was moved by an early book of yours, um, cry like a man fighting for freedom and emotional incarceration uh, nearly 2,000 five-star reviews on Amazon for anyone who cares uh, and when I saw you had a new book uh, battle cry uh, I'm wondering if you can help us understand the the um, the arc from doing the work that you did the viral video in 2016 writing cry like a man and now what was you know, what was the, the essence of that narrative? And then how, 
you know, what was the, the next jumping off point that made you want to, uh, to write battle cry? Chase, you asked some good questions, man. I wish I had a <laughs> I'm a professional. <laughs> I'm a professional. Okay. So I'll just like, just talk, talk to me about the, the progression, you know? Yeah, I got it. No, I'm just joking, man. Okay. Yeah, you didn't really get this question. All right. No, um, so what's interesting, so that viral video, so we have a nonprofit called The Union in Detroit where we serve youth and families in Metro Detroit. When that video went viral, my wife calls me. She says, hey, is something on the internet or something because our phones won't stop ringing? I said, I, I don't know. I put videos up all the time because back in 2016, you know, viral videos were rare, okay? Yeah. And would you believe we had to shut our offices almost completely down for two days because of the people who were calling? Now, this is interesting. The majority of people who were calling were men. And I used to think it was just a black man's issue because that was my community. And that's the issue that was going on in this country. We're always looking through this world just through our lens. I always pray to let me see what others others see so that I can have compassion and understanding. But when I start answering the phone and my wife and, and our assistants hear people from men from Germany, Australia, all over the world, different walks of life, I'm like, whoa. And they were all saying, I'm tired of trying to be tough all the time. I already proved that. Can I be more of a human? And I'm like, man, something is here. And then I said, hmm. Everyone says be strong like a man or fight like a man, but no one ever says cry like a man. And that's what prompted me. I say, our men are emotionally incarcerated. And that's a, a self-imposed sentence where we all know what this cell, this prison cell looks like. Um, and what's crazy is that this cell chase has an open door. And every man we know, I don't care who you are, we know we can get up off of that bed and walk out at any given moment but we choose to stay there because here it is a good guy who doesn't want to be a bad guy anymore. Here it is a good guy who don't want to, don't want to hurt people anymore. And he's tired of hurting himself, being disappointed. He's tired of having to keep hearing the negative words of his father or his mother. And so cry like a man was my transparent journey from breaking free from this incarceration that had me living a miserable life. Battle cry is to teach men how to stay free. So once you break free, that I don't want to say that's the easy part, but the hardest part is staying free. It's just like when you lose a lot of weight. If you're working out or exercising, you'll find, you'll find out real quickly the hardest part will be trying to keep that weight off of you. So battle cry, so many men, the reason I chose battle cry is because it's a shout, an intimidating shout that soldiers use when they go to war. So many men, good men, are suffering in silence. And I'm encouraging men through this book and my transparency and my journey of using all the mental and spiritual weapons that have worked for me to encourage them to yell a battle cry and finally stop getting so focused on what's out here, what's in front of you, and deal with the greatest war you will ever face is the one in you. And that's how I came from the video to cry like a man to battle cry because men were asking me, I love Cry Like a Man, but how do you do it? How do you maintain? And I tell them, I say, hey, man, it's a daily fight. I wage war within myself every day. You know, I, I be re I'm ready to snap it if someone cuts me off at the road. I, you know, I, I want to fight if someone do this. You know, I, I, I get it. My wife will say something that makes me angry, and I could walk around the house not speaking like a child. But me and my wife, we've grown past that. And I've learned, we've learned how with Battle Cry, the tools I'm giving men is to teach you how to communicate in a way where your wife can recognize your heart instead of your fists, instead of your yelling. So when we become vulnerable, and so men, the biggest fear, they say, well, man, what if someone takes advantage of me? That's a great blessing. They say, what do you mean? You now know that that person isn't ready to receive your love, isn't ready for your friendship, isn't ready for your loyalty. But you don't ever go back to being the person that you don't want to be. You know, one thing I often say is be the lamb and the lion. Uh, one of my kids who was bullied, you know, he thought that all you could be was a lamb. You know, he's a, a, a Christian, young kid, beautiful personality, but he was bullied. 
and never he thought standing up for himself was wrong. A lot of times when I help kids overcome being bullied, I have to warn them to not become the bully because that can happen. So here it is. You've been the trauma you've experienced makes your heart harden. And now you've become what you hated, what you feared even. I tell the kids, become the lion, defend yourself, become the lion, stop letting people on your job uh, intimidate you out of a new position, become the lion, speak up in a situation where your family is being taken advantage of, but quickly reset back to the lamb as soon as possible. We draw upon the lion when we're in fight or flight, and that's the brain's response to acute stress. You can't stay there. Once you've calmed everything down, you reset back to the lamb. And as men, how many of us rather have peace than war? But when we only are masculine, the only thing we, again, we can draw upon is this bravado and just, and it's, it's so, it's wearing men down. It's just like, look here, I'm tired, <laughs> tired of this. And like Joe, Joe called it, uh, Rogan, he called it uh, a facade, a masculine facade, BS. And we all as men know it. Because when you get alone with a man and he's really struggling, he'll break down crying, but he won't show those tears to the public. And that's emotional incarceration. It's, it's extraordinarily well-framed. And I think that's part of where culturally we've completely missed the boat is the framing of uh, of the, the argument of the point. And you talked a lot about humanity. What I heard you talk about is the um, tools and so I want to shift our conversation, if we can, to to tools, because, you know, the, the old saying, you can uh, give a man a fish or you can teach him to fish. And obviously learning to fish is infinitely more valuable because you've, you've got you can create that that uh, existence for yourself rather than at the hands of someone else. So if we are to talk about tools, what are some of the key tools that you teach? That again, for people listening or watching, whether you're, mm-hmm. um, regardless of gender, uh, either knowing how to employ these, or mm-hmm. observing the employment of these tools and others, I think can be beneficial. So, can you talk to me about mm-hmm. some some of the tools that you uh, aim to instill in the the boys and men that that you work with? So as you were asking that question, I was pulling up what I call the filling wheel. I keep it on my phone. And this is what I want all of your listeners to Google. It's called the filling wheel, F-E-E-L-I-N-G wheel. And it's by a psychiatrist named Gloria Wilcox. And so this is when I get, I call it exercise digging for gold. I talk about it in battle cry, digging for gold. Because a lot of times when you have conflict between two males, we're never going to say the real emotion behind the action, you know? So instead of saying, you hurt me, we'll say, man, you piss me off. You understand? So I yeah. teach men and males, let's go a little deeper. And so the feeling will, what I love about it, at the center of it, you'll find the typical emotions as men that we express, like anger, um, happiness, sadness, being surprised or fearful. Those are typically, we're okay navigating through those. But in the second tier, it lets us know what sad really is, is lonely, is vulnerable, is despair, depressed, hurt, and guilty. So if we go to the third tier of this wheel, now we can say, you know what? I feel abandoned, man. I feel fragile. I'm grieving the loss of my loved one. I feel so powerless. I need someone to help build me up. Do you see how we get past the shallowness and when we start digging deeper, Now it allows not only for you to find emotional freedom, it opens up the person who's listening to you to share the same. And so now you have two men sharpening each other instead of just polishing each other. Um, If there were swords, it's it's one of my favorite proverbs, iron sharpens iron, so as one man sharpens another. What has happened in this society, because we have to look a certain way, when we pull our swords out, we gleam and we're shining but we have no sharp, no blade to us, no edge, because we don't allow the friction to happen between brothers. We don't allow us encouraging each other to work through these emotions and become better men. So when the, the struggles come, the addictions, the, the, the uh, drugs, whatever, pornography, we try to cut at it and our sores get stuck. 
And so that's why I tell men to avoid polishing partners and gra gravitate toward the men who will encourage you to become sharper as men. And that's one of the main tools, especially with young boys and young men. They say, wow, that's, that, that's really how I really felt, but I'm only, I only feel comfortable with either showing anger or uh, some type of fear, but fear typically looks like anger when a man expresses it. And so that's one of my main tools I love using for men. As far as in marriage, um, one thing that helped my wife and I, because we were going to get separated in 2015, man, and I never forgot, I wanted to spend time with my son, more time with him because I prayed for him and I, you know, what father doesn't really want a son? And so my wife's sitting at the kitchen table, Chase, and um, I said, you know, I really want to spend time more with little Jay. My wife simply responds, says, uh, I wish you would, I can't wait for you to desire to spend that type of time with me. All that I heard was, this is something else I'm doing wrong. Why? It's never good enough, okay? Before I knew it, Chase, I was yelling at the top of my lungs, and I hit our refrigerator so hard, it put a dent in the stainless steel. My wife at that moment, she was trying to explain herself, and I started yelling at the top of my lungs, and I literally saw my wife just continents just get lower and lower and lower and she sat down as she was sitting down i, I felt so convicted man here it is i'm a, i would risk my life for her i would do anything for her and in that moment because i couldn't control my emotions my emotions were mastering me i'm tearing down the only person who has my back like my mother did and that's my wife at that very moment, I knew something was wrong with me and I needed to get help. So that's when I went to psychotherapy. Um, guy name is Dr. Tim Bro. He taught us how to recognize each other's intent and not get caught up in the words. And so what I mean by that, Chase, is my wife and I, we've agreed that we know that we love each other and that we do not desire to hurt each other. So that's like a foundational principle in our marriage. So whenever there's a little conflict or disagreement, we know you're not trying to harm me. So we're able to talk to this and then start laughing. We no longer, I mean, don't get me wrong, we would go a day or two without speaking when we were younger. But now we quickly reset because we understand the power of reconciling immediately. And we're able to move on. And man, when I say we haven't had an argument like, you know, ah, we haven't, one, haven't had one of those men in years because I know this woman isn't trying to hurt me. And then what's more important for the men who are listening, start expressing, get this feeling wheel out and start expressing your true emotions. So if your wife is questioning your, questioning your leadership over the finances and you're, you're doing a decent job or she's just maybe a little fear or... She hasn't let go of a mistake you've made. Instead of saying, you're making me mad, you're pissing me off, you always got something to say. Say, wow, uh, Stacy, um, it really hurts me to know that you don't trust me as your husband. That right there allows a woman to drop her guard. Because again, from my understanding and my faith in the Bible, that woman was cre created into a relationship Adam was into work. So you have a man, if you're only masculine, you can't even really communicate with Eve because all you're used to doing is doing things. So what did our father say, Chase? Uh, well, I don't have to tell you I love you. You see food on the table, don't you? The lights are on, don't you? I love you. That's how you know. That's not good enough for our women. And so when you're only locked into that, what can you do? So when a man says, start showing these other emotions, what he's really feeling, for me, I'm going to speak for myself and the men that I know. The wives gravitate towards it. Because remember, you know, I don't know about you, man, but when my mom, if she was at my games or whatever and would yell my name, I would run through a wall. When we get married, man, it wasn't meant for us to lose the nurturer, bro. Our wives have that in them, but we don't allow them to nurture us. And as men, you know, we love seeing the movies and the pictures of the, the king or whomever laying his head on the queen lap. We have to allow them to love us. And that, and, and when we transition into that space, man, when I say my marriage changed, 
it completely changed. It was so bad. A friend of mine whose son had cancer, man, and I, it, this wasn't planned. We just started working through this stuff together because when I say he's a lion, he's all lion, okay? Provides for all his children, strong, and I mean, whatever, every sense of the lion he is. But when his son got ill, none of that strength, courage, all that, it starts fading away because now you're dealing with a heart issue. You're dealing with other emotions that the lion isn't really used to. So he started crying and what was so beautiful, his wife put her arm around him and said, it's okay, baby. That was really one of the rarest times where she could see him cry. But he called me and says, man, that really felt good. And when you give more of my brothers who are listening, that opportunity, man, we talked earlier about giving our women the world that they desire as well and deserve. When you allow a man, when we can, because we got to understand this too, and I hope I'm not just going everywhere, but so many thoughts are hitting me. We always say how men have been conditioned to believe certain things and who they are. So have our women. Our women have been conditioned through mass media to believe that this is only a man. And because of that, we both have to unlearn these talk, toxic thought patterns. And when that happens in a marriage, man, um, not only the home becomes better and more at peace, the workplace, the society, the neighborhood. And so um, that's what I, I implore the men listening to do now is get that feeling wheel, download it, save it on your phone like I do. Whenever I'm upset, I got those four or some charts have six emotions, the core. I want to dig deeper, man, so that I can articulate what I'm really feeling. It's it's very powerful to listen to you frame the conversations in the in the way that you have the the feeling wheel is something I learned from your work. Um, it brings me back to uh, something called nonviolent communication, which is something I've studied, and it's it's essentially something similar around how to understand the emotions and the complexity in in a handful of different emotions, which are you know fear, uh, I'm scared, I'm angry, you know these basic paradigms that I think mm. the feeling wheel actually does a better job with because you can, as you uh, articulated earlier, peel back the onion and realize that sad is actually lonely, uh, vulnerability, despair, guilt, depression, or pain. I think it's, if you're out there and you have the ability to pull this up on your phone while you're listening, please don't do it if you're driving, <laughs> but this is a very powerful, uh, oh. it's a power, powerful tool. Um, and I would also encourage people to check out nonviolent communication as a mechanism for communicating in a in a way that is not at that elevated lion state. It's more neutral. It's not lion nor lamb. So thank you for for sharing that. Part of uh, part of the work that I have seen from you, it it especially with Battle Cry. I mean, the the subhead of Battle Cry is waging and winning the war within. Uh, I got a phrase that I refer back to all the time that the most important words in the world are the ones that we say to ourselves. And I was wondering if you could talk to us about the work that you do and how you, what, what the dialogue, like the, uh, it's almost like a before and ap after picture of that internal dialogue um, that you hope to achieve in the the boys and men that you work with. Give us like, before and then after they had followed your your work you know juxtapose those two things let me see if i can do it we can maybe tie it into into communication i have a chapter in battle cry called combat communication and this was i was taught when i, I trained under a uh, vietnam war vet uh just about urban combat training his main martial art i believe was kempo but he was not teaching us that. And it was much deeper. And we often were in like real life situations. Combat communication. So a scenario, let me give you an example. So um, I'll show you the before Jason and then the after Jason in this story. So um, we- uh, I love how you're willing to use yourself. First, thank you for, yeah. for using yourself yeah. oh, as an example. Oh, yeah. That's very, the ability to be vulnerable <laughs> yes, like that is just a, such a strong, that's a strength in itself. Sorry, continue. Yes. 
Thank you. Yes. So our nonprofit had just purchased uh, a 15,000 square foot building. And on the third floor, they had a basketball court and basketball rims. And so my son wanted to play. So we went and played one day. When we were leaving, you know, I, I dropped my guard. Typically, I'm very vigilant and alert uh, when I'm in a new community. Uh, but this time I wasn't. And when I went to lock the door, when I, as I was locking the door and taking my key out, I hear a voice say to me, they're trying to kill me. And so I looked to my left and it was a younger man on a cell phone. So since I'm licensed to carry, my life felt threatened, I draw my gun. I said, who's trying to kill you? And he says, they're coming around the corner. And sure enough, it's a suburban with three guys in it coming around the corner towards my son and I. The old Jason would have started shooting where I was emotionally because I would be, I would allow the emotion of fear to overcome me. I would have started shooting and then grabbed my son and ran, okay? Because I saw an approaching threat. Instead of that, I steeled my soul so I can maintain self-control and started analyzing the situation like Dr. Strange did in the Avengers. I forgot it was like 14 million options he had and he gave the ring to Thanos. But this whole time, man, I'm processing which way to go, what to do. Why is he on the cell phone? Who is he talking to? This car is going this way. I, I got to get my son back inside. So now I shift back. I did those emotions and now I have to get my son inside. We hadn't changed the locks yet, Chase. So you know how you have to fidget around to get it just right and it engages, you can open it. That's the situation. And now I see this truck coming. I'm able to steal my emotions enough to stay calm, keeping my eye on the guy, peripheral on the guy on the phone, get my son inside. The old Jason, I knew where I came up. You know, people say, why didn't you just run inside with your son and just waited, waited you know, until it, it passed? I said, no way. I grew up, guys would come in and kick the door in if they wanted something. So the best option to keep my son safe was to tell him to go to the back of the building just in case they started shooting. The bullets will have a less chance to get to him. But he didn't know. He knew something was wrong. So in that moment, Chase, I'm looking at my son's eyes. I want to cry. I'm scared. The old Jason would have let the tears flow. I love you, son. You know, I don't know what's going to happen, but I love you. If I would have done that, my son would have said, Dad, I can't leave you. Now he would have put his life in danger. But I stayed calm, said, son, go to the back of the building. I will see you soon. Just want to make sure this situation is good. He goes to the back of the building. Here comes the guys. I get in a weaver stance, use my truck in front as a barricade just in case they start shooting, and they do another U-turn. And then the guy on the phone, man, runs off towards the car. As I suspected, who talks on a cell phone and people are trying to kill you and you're stationary? During the middle of all of that, because I was the old Jason had died, the emotional one, the one who was a slave to his emotions, the one who would not be punked out or any of that stuff, I said, wait a minute, he's talking to the guys in the truck. And then after the situation had died down, I saw the fact that I had a brand new Yukon out front and they were trying to carjack. And possibly because I had a gun, they changed the plan. And this is the key. Most men, I know a lot of men go through a lot of situations, especially my friends who are veterans. They have PTSD because they're still holding on to the trauma that has happened at war. Or my friends who are police officers who hold on to that, the trauma they experience every day. When I went home, I sat in my living room. My wife, Nicole, asked me, she says, are you okay? You know, everything is fine. I'm like, I'm not. I just need a moment to release. So as men, we are, again, the bravado, machismo. I'm good, baby. It was okay. I took care of all that. We're fine. When I got Jay out, I embraced him and hugged him. When we got home, I sat in a chair and started crying. I was overwhelmed with so much that had happened in that one, those maybe 15 minute span that I needed to release it. And so in battle cry, I have a concept, the four R's, where men reflect on what had happened, release everything that's causing them to feel toxic, anything that's taking them the wrong way. Because again, some things that are sorrowful, we need to reflect on and keep so that we can change. Like if we were disrespectful to our wife or a woman or a coworker. So we need to keep that sorrow so that we can go back and apologize. After we reflect and release, 
we're able to reset to norm, back to the lamb, back to a place of steadiness. And once those three R's are in place, now a man can find rest. So the old Jason would have held all of that on. I would have been short-tempered. I would have had a, a, a temper with my wife, a short response with my wife, brother. What you mean? I just went through this. What you talking about? How am I feeling? I just, didn't I tell you what happened? I had to pull a gun on this and that. I just need to break. Why are you always asking questions? That's because my capacity is too full. So I walk around with the way my boss talked to me, the way my friend treat me, whatever, et cetera, failure. Now my capacity is to the top and I have no room for tolerance for anything. That's the old Jason. The new Jason, as soon as something happened, which things will always happen, I release, I reflect, release, reset so that I can rest. Amazing. Um, you've, well, you've given us a lot and I'm taking some notes and, uh, again, we'll, we'll take some of these nuggets out. We'll make little pieces to share so that your message can continue to spread and we'll make notes for the show notes. Um, I'm wondering if you can talk a little bit about, uh, the trauma you've used that word numerous times throughout our conversation. You've talked about it in terms of uh, veterans. You've talked about it, how arguably from what, what I know about trauma and studied as a person who cares about human growth and development, that we all have it. I'm wondering the role that the, that, you know, how do you put trauma in your system? And clearly you've talked about processing it. Um, I'm just wondering if you can uncover that a little bit more uh, overtly for us. What what role you, you know, where does trauma come from and what role it plays in uh, your ecosystem? You talked about the R's that can aim to let it go, but give us the, the precursors. Yeah, so basically anything that's like traumatic that happens to you, like for instance, so I, I'm going to use myself again. So in the African-American community where I grew up, the community I grew up in, you know, um, we will often take getting shot like a badge of honor. You even hear it if you listen to hip hop. It's like, you know, it just comes along with the territory. And unfortunately, uh, I lost two brothers to homicide. You know, uh, both were murdered. Um, and prior to that, we just deal with intergenerational trauma, trauma that's passed on through our generations. My grandfather was lynched. Okay, not my great-grandfather or great-great-grandfather, my grandfather. Because of the the police lynching him in Fort Pierce, Florida, and then uh, uh, just racially just terrorizing his family after he died, my my mother and her siblings, all of them, and I don't consider this a coincidence, it was six, four of them developed dementia, one of them... Uh, was an alcoholic and the other one died from cancer. They could not release the hate, the anger, just everything that they went through with that entire situation. And because of it, I seen my mother have a nervous breakdown twice in front of me. So that's the impact, especially in the black community of how even people, you know, some people just will slavery get over it. They clearly don't have an understanding of how trauma is in our DNA, okay? And so even in my book, Cry Like a Man, I, I, I love my editor because she was like, uh, actually, it was after I submitted it with her. It was a guy on there and uh, he was white and I, I appreciated his, his, his uh, input. He says, hey, uh, can you share why it's difficult for, uh, why do you think it takes it's so difficult for black men to really express themselves? I think that'd be good to add in the book. I said, okay, cool. And I thought about it. Did a little history, some study, and talked to friends of mine who are historians. I said, it makes sense. Could you imagine? Again, regardless of ethnicity, we're what? Just ma- if you're just masculine, you go back to that era. It wasn't just black fathers who didn't tell their kids they loved them during that era. It was white or whomever because they were only conditioned to be a certain way. Saying love or showing any emotion outside of toughness was weakness. Could you imagine as an African-American man, your baby is getting auctioned off to the highest bidder. You want to go fight. You want to kill the people who are doing this, but you can't because you have a wife. You have some more kids that you can keep and take care of. 
So now you're talking about a greater suppression of anger, resentment, bitterness, seeing your friends lynched from on trees. That stuff gets carried on if it's not released from you. It gets carried over into the next generation. So I'm real quick, I'm going to dive into my brothers of another mother, those of a different ethnicities. Look at your father's role models, Humphrey Bogart, John Wayne. And we're talking about the way our women are treated. You know, a friend of mine who's Irish American was saying, Jay, don't get fooled by the pretty house, uh, the father, the mom, the sister and the cars. He says it looks great, but there's abuse in my house. So you hold that in. And you next thing you know, you're wondering why that man is beating his wife or doesn't know how to treat his kids. So that's what trauma does when it's unreleased. It travels throughout generation, affecting the next generation and the next. For me, when I came up, you're familiar with Tupac, right? Of course. Are you? Okay, good. Just making sure. <laughs> All right. Yeah, and no. So the saying, the, saying, the saying was he made popular what's called the thug life. And I never was a thug, so let's get that clear. Um, I tried to be one or I played the role of one. Because, again, the hyper-masculine black male was the gold standard in my community. If you didn't look tough, you wouldn't get the girl, you got lucky, you have money. I mean, whatever you, you can tie to that, that name, that's what I tried to be. It took me until I developed the cave, until I started working with boys, young men and men, to really understand what a thug was. So I created an acronym. A thug is a traumatized human unable to grieve. Again, T, thug, H. I mean, T-H-E, a traumatized human, H for human, unable, U-G, to grieve. And when I look at the young boys I mentor, those who are in gangs, those who come up to me, those who have tattooed tears on their face, can't cry physical tears, why? It make you look weak. So let me get them tattooed, which either means sorrow or you killed someone, or you lost someone uh, who died or you took someone's life. All of this grief is coming out of us. Hence why you will see, uh, you know, this rage that's throughout this country right now because of so much that's seen that we take in that we don't release. And that's how trauma affects us. And so what I do, again, I apply the four R's. And I love using martial arts as a way to teach men what this process actually looks like. So if I'm fighting you, Chase, and you're fast and you hit me a few times in my abdomen or, or my jaw. And I stay with the fact that you hit me. I can't let go of the blow. I said, man, he's fast, he hit me. I can't believe he hit me in my jaw, he hit me in my, my abs. If I stay there, now there's more punches coming my way because I'm thinking on what had happened instead of dealing with what's about to happen. So I tell men, let go of the blow. No matter what's happening, even my grandfather would say, son, it's, it's great that you never forget, but you got to learn how to let go or you'll never be able to live like my children couldn't. So I literally saw what happens to humans when they do not release the traumatic things that have happened in their lives. So in fighting, same thing, if you stay with, if you hit me or I hit you, Chase, that could be a death of a loved one, your father passed or... Your son or daughter is terminally ill. You lost your job, whatever it is. If you don't let go of that, you're going to lose that fight because more is coming. Everyone knows, you know, as soon as you step out your door, things are going to come. The only way we can survive is, of course, you can't just suppress that or repress it. You reflect on it. So in combat communication as two fighters, which I talk about in Battle Cry, I start downloading what you can do, man. Oh, he's pretty fast there. Oh, I threw a fake. Oh, he moved on that. Okay, maybe he doesn't have too much confidence in his defense. So now I start downloading what's happening so that you can't do what you do to me anymore. In life, when things happen, negative things, or if it affects you a wrong way, you download it and move differently. When you see it again, oh, I remember what happened when I moved this way. He was quick with his jab. I need to move this way. Oh, I saw what happened that time when I thought of a great idea at work. Uh, he took my idea and took it to the boss like he created it. Next time, I'm just going to write that down and give it to my boss. Same thing with trauma. I remember when I lost my brother, I suppressed all my emotion. I didn't even cry at my brother's funeral. Now, when I lose a loved one like that, I don't care if it's natural or tragic. 
I let it all out. I cry as much as I can because I understand what Dr. William Frey, a biochemist, discovered about tears, that they not only contain water, but tears from emotional pain and a traumatic event, but they contain stress hormones. And that's why we feel so much better or a little better after crying. So that's my process, Chase, of just what trauma is, what it does, and how I overcome it and become the best version of myself every day. Beautifully articulated. Thank you, Jason. Um, man, the work that you're doing, it seems so simple, yet so avant-garde. And it feels like, um, I'm, I'm, first of all, I'm grateful. Second of all, part of the reason I wanted you on the show is because we need to understand more of this if we're going to, um, we're going to heal as a culture. We've done a lot of violence on our culture to ourselves and to others because of a lot of the stuff that you're sharing. Uh, to lighten the mood a little bit, I want to talk about the, the, the work that you're doing in context of, of current times. And I understand that um, there may or may not be, maybe you can confirm this, uh, a documentary film on your work. If it started as a viral video and it's gone to books, what, you know, these ideas are clearly very powerful and you're obviously an amazing vehicle for sharing them. You know, what are some of, what's some of your future intent, uh, whether with the documentary or, um, or others, I'm just wondering wh where do you want to take this work? So people who are watching and listening might be able to, to become, uh, more involved in you and the work. Mm. Well, I mean, uh, the other documentary man was uh, <laughs> the producer who found the cave of Adullam. Name is Roy Bank. He created a lot of great reality shows like You Think You're Smarter Than a Fifth Grader. And I forgot the other ones. And it was two other producers, man. And I, I said, what do you mean you want to do a documentary or a series on my life? And so, again, so let's talk about trauma. Because of the bad things that happened to me, man, I said, I don't trust you. Do you know I turned it down a couple of times? But he was respectfully persistent. He was respect, respectfully persistent. I said, okay, cool. My wife said, let's just entertain it. Let's fast forward so I won't take too long. Make a long story short, after him shopping it and you know taking it to certain people, Lawrence Fishburne sees the sizzle reel or the promo reel. And he was really moved. And he... They worked together, work out a contract to sign me to do this documentary film on my life, which we finished before COVID. And now it's being edited and should be released early next year on one of the top streaming platforms. So imagine that viral video times 30. So it's following four of my recruits and myself and my assistant. And it's, it's, it's literally, imagine flies with camera, cameras. There's no script and it's beautifully shot. Um, much props to the director, Lord Checkaway. It's 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 going to be phenomenal, and I'm so happy. And Lawrence, who's seeing majority of the the edits right now, he says that he believes it's going to heal people from the inside out. And I said, Wow, really? He says, Yeah, you have to get used to a new normal. I said, What do you mean? He says, Your life is going to change because you're not a celebrity, you're not an artist. You're closer to an activist, but you're more so a healer. And people will do whatever it takes to get that healing. And your whole thing is that they can attain it just by doing the work. And so that's really exciting, man, to see. And then also the influence that I've had in Cry Like a Man on the way coaches are coaching young men and fathers are being you know, outspoken with about the affection they have for their children. Um, that really keeps me going because this journey gets hard when you constantly are dealing with people who are hurting. You know, you take that stuff on and you're like, "Woo, I'd rather do something else, you know, even though I love helping people. But it's like the entire day. And then you, I see my wife who sees the, the Jason at well, I share pretty much who I am. I'm pretty transparent, but she has to be there to console me and help me. It gets heavy on my heart to allow me the time to release. Another thing that was really encouraging, man, 
was the Joe Rogan interview. Um, I didn't expect the response to be the way it was. Uh, and then just meeting him and how great of a guy he is. And he kept affirming me like, man, you know, we need more of you, you know, get ready, you know? And I'm like, okay. When the, he, he aired the episode, man, when I say my direct message got flooded with men, truck drivers crying, saying, man, I listened to the whole podcast. I haven't cried in 20 years. People saying, man, I need to talk to my children differently. Thank you. I mean, on and on and on to see men say, you know what? I'm more than just this protector. I'm more than just putting food on the table. I am human. And I want to start experiencing that not only for myself, but letting my family see who I really am. And, and that's just, that's what makes this the hard work, the tears, just everything really worth it. When you can see men change and the greater beauty is when you see different men of different ethnicity. When you see all men like, look, thank you. I needed this. Thank you. It confirms for me that this is a calling that God placed on me to do. It's heavy, um, but I'd rather do this instead of what others are calling me to do. I'd rather stay focused on my one thing, which is to teach, train, and transform males into comprehensive men. And that's just what I live for. And I'm just honored to just play my role in this little time that I have here on earth to make a big difference. Well, I, we've had several people on the show over the 12, now 11, 12 year history who have absolutely transcended popular culture and in so many ways. And, uh, I have a feeling this is, you are in this, in this, uh, moment right now. And I also listen to the Joe show and, uh, in preparation for our conversation today and uh, your work is timely. It's meaningful. It's deep. Uh, and I think most of all, it contributes to healing, which is what the world needs now more than ever. So, um, one of the reasons I asked that question is just so that I can continue to know how your aspirations are going to continue to shape your work. And, uh, I'm inspired by you. I want to say thank you very much. Our community here, the, the creator, the entrepreneur communities, um, we have a lot to learn, and uh, I think, again, on all genders, this has been amazingly insightful. I'm grateful for your time. If there's anything you could request of the community, you know, obviously, I've talked, you know, we've talked about your, your new book, Battle Cry, um, Cry Like a Man, your other book. Uh, so we're good at, this community is good at rallying behind authors, especially here, and as their publication week approaches, and what is there anything else you'd want us to, to do or, or how, how can we, how can we support you and your work as a, you know, where would you steer our attention um, as when we, we leave this conversation, having been inspired by you and the work, any parting words for us? Well, um, of course, you know, we have a nonprofit called the union It's spelled T H E the, the union, we put a Y in front of it to differentiate ourselves from all the union locals in Detroit. We're the Motor City. So it's tons <laughs> of unions. And so people were calling them instead of us. And I'm like, okay, wait, let's put a Y. It's a silent Y for youth. But of course, any donations, of course, help us with the work that we're doing in our Metro Detroit and, and abroad. But for them, what I would love to share is everyone, you know, stop living from your fears and live from the good that's in your heart. And for men, the fear of looking bad, the fear of failure, the fear of the woman that's in front of you potentially can be your wife, but your fear of rejection won't allow you to approach her. Uh, the entrepreneur who wants to take that next step, but the fear of failing or losing it all. Of course you want to be wise, but if everything is there, you know, I tell people it was a saying my friend said before he got married, he said, uh, he was hesitant because he didn't have his finances, the house, you know, everything that we want to have before we get married. He said, I just want my ducks in a row. And I looked at him. I said, man, when is the last time you've seen ducks in a row? And he <laughs> fell out laughing. He says, I've never seen that. And so I, I, I tell people that, that story 
because so often we're waiting for that. We could have 10 ducks in a row and we're waiting for that 11th duck to get in, in line. And, in, and he never does, but that's fear. Stop waiting for that. You know what you're feeling. I don't just say live from your heart because there's a lot of wickedness there as well. We know what it's meant. If we're transparent, there's some bad thoughts we can have. I say the good in your heart. The world needs that. Live from that. Walk in that. Stop pulling back and just say, hey, I'm tired of this mask. I'm tired of this box. I'm bigger than this. And that's what I realized with myself with just trying to play the role of a thug, trying to be this. My heart was too big for these limited titles and just, I want to be comprehensive. I want to do more. So if you're listening, live from what that good you feel. Don't live from the depression. Don't live from the, 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 the deep sorrow, the regrets, the fear of failure, whatever it is. Move past that. Stop waiting for all your ducks to line in the, up in a row. Allow them to walk freely so that you can be liberated as well. Uh, no better way to end a show than on that phrase. And I'm so grateful for your time. Thank you for sharing it so graciously with us, for inspiring not just us, but so many others. And congrats on all the success. I'm very excited. Please consider me an ally. This show will forever back you and wherever you're going. Um, thanks again for your time. And everybody out there in the world, please uh, pay close attention to Jason and his work. Uh, any place you'd steer them other than the union? Do you have some place on the internet that you want us to know about, Jason? Um, people can follow me on social media. Uh, my handle is Mr. Jason O. Wilson. It's M-R-J-A-S-O-N, the letter O, and then Wilson, W-I-L-S-O-N. And that's across all social media platforms. Awesome. Thank you so much. And to everybody out there in the world, again, hey. pay close attention to Jason. And uh, to everybody out there, we bid you all adieu. Jason, thanks again so much. Thank you, Chase, so much. It's been a great time. I feel like I could talk more if I had to get my son, but thank you so much, man. I, I appreciate it. Thank you, my man. Of course. All right, real quick. Hey, before you go, if you know anything about me or my work, you know how deeply I believe in the power of creativity. It's so core for a successful, fulfilling life. I mean, that life cannot be built by accident, right? That's only an accumulation of intentions and daily choices and actions and the stories we tell ourselves about what's possible with this one precious life. Well, I want you to know that I wrote a book specifically about this. And if you enjoy the show and you don't yet have the book, I think, uh, I think you ought to because I think it's an incredible companion to all the work, the 10 years we put into making this show. The book is called Creative Calling. You can get it, of course, at, at Amazon or, or your local bookshop or anywhere books are sold or at creativecalling.com. Uh, but there is a creative process I outline in the book, a series of daily habits. It's very, very actionable. And again, wherever you are on your path, whether you're just starting out or you're a veteran, um, if I don't, if that book doesn't add value to your life, I mean, there's hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of five-star reviews on Amazon. So if that book doesn't uh, add value to your life, then you can message me personally and I will, I will get you your 15 bucks back for the hardback edition. Uh, I just want you to know that if, if you're new here or you haven't checked out the book, please do. And let me know what you think. All right. Thanks again. And we'll see you, uh, the next episode.